Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hi, my name is Michael Waits from ATP Stories, and I have Jun Yamadera on the line. Jun is a Fukushima-based entrepreneur. He's been an entrepreneur for over 22 years. And one of the things he's known for, among other things, is Fukushima Wheel, which is something I'd like to get to, actually, after he gives us a little bit more of an introduction to himself. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. Uh, I'm fine. So do you want to back up a little bit? You said you so, you started your first con- your first company in 1995. That's a while ago. Uh, yes. Uh, I'm a very kind of old school. Uh, I uh, started my company three days before eBay.com. So uh, it's a kind of very, you know, I feel like a dinosaur. <laughs> You're not that much of a dinosaur. You're definitely younger than I am. So in 1995, you started doing, what was your first business? Yeah, it's a kind of long story. Um, Tell me. Um, yeah, actually, I uh, gradu- I only graduate from high school, and uh, I plan to go university, but uh, somehow I failed. So um, I asked my parents to go uh, prep school in Tokyo because at that time uh, I didn't like a, a small city like Aizuakamatsu uh, in Fukushima. Right. And uh, um, all I need is just go outside. It's something like a, a music of the, the Smiths, right? So uh, I really like uh, big cities. So um, I went to Tokyo and then... Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I pray a lot, and then I didn't go to prep school, and then I failed the university again. Uh, so uh, my parents really kind of pissed because uh, sec- next year I failed the university again. Right. And then, yeah, I asked my kind of parents, um, can you give me uh, kind of money for the university for the rest of the four years? And then, you know, my parents got really kind of got angry, and then... Uh, you know, I had a very kind of hard time to communicate with my parents uh, for a long time. And uh, I uh, worked in uh, Tokyo uh, because I have to, you know, make a living. So right. I did a uh, uh, skipper of the uh, uh, captain of the jungle cruise in uh, Tokyo Disneyland. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah. What? And, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a skipper. And uh, I also did a uh, um, waiter in a cafe or... Lots of kind of work, uh, but uh, in uh, 1993, uh, my relationship uh, between uh, parents uh, getting kind of milder, and uh, I always wanted to go back to hometown because I love my hometown very much. Mm. So in uh, 1993, uh, I welcome back to my city in Fukushima. Uh, we finally have a university for. Uh, computer science oriented university first in Japan oh, and wow. we have a highway so I thought it's something going to be changed but uh, you know I didn't have any career plan and uh, I uh, back to uh, hometown and uh, one of my friends uh, told me um, university is looking for uh, interpreter uh, some kind of person who can translate uh, uh communications uh, between uh, foreign faculty and uh, Japanese uh, prefecture and police because uh, in the 1993, almost no one have uh, no Japanese 
have a PhD in a computer science. So uh, university faculty is more like a, a non-Japanese. 90% is a foreign faculty, which is a very unusual in a Japanese university. Very. So, yeah. So um, then I started to work for university uh, as a prefecture priest because I didn't graduate university and then uh, I didn't go foreign countries, but uh, uh, my parents is uh, fortunately a uh, Beatles generation, so they play music a lot. And then I am a big fan of the music, so I learned the music a little bit. And then, I don't know, maybe they somehow, mis- they did some mistake of the paperwork, but uh, somehow I passed the exam. And then I started to work for university as a prefecture and priest. So... Then the career starts, and uh, I met the internet in that time period, which is a kind of golden age of uh, internet. So I quit my job two years later, and then I started my own business with a student of the university advisor. Right. So what was the what was the main business in in Izu? Back then, in other words, in 1993, when you came home, right? What was the what was the main business there? Was it the rice business? Was it the sake business? What was? How would you characterize? You said the highway that got built there, right? You thought it was going to change things. Uh, yeah, uh, I work most in my hometown is uh, only 100,000 uh, population, which is a very small city and a very historical city. And uh, we are something like a last samurai because we had a civil war in a hundred fifty years ago. Right. And then we, yeah, we lost anyway. Uh, but uh, our city is based on uh, sightseeing uh, because we have a castle, and uh, we also have a sake industry and the Japanese lacquerware. Uh, so it's more like a very kind of traditional, very historical uh, Japanese city. Right, I, I guess. Mean, I mean, I remember my first time in Fukushima. Actually, it was on my way back. I drove to Hokkaido, yeah, from Tokyo, mm-hmm. and I remember stopping in Fukushima on the way home on purpose because it was very famous for delicious food and for great onsen. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, actually, uh, I have a, a office in the onsen, so we should talk about. Tell me. Yeah. Um. Actually. Uh, I started my kind of business in the 1995. And uh, at that time, uh, of course, uh, all I could do is making a website. Uh, because in the 1993, 1994, there is almost no one uh, to have access to the internet except uh, people in the academia. Right. And uh, I was uh, lucky enough to be right time, right place. Uh, so I started my, uh, my careers, uh, making a website. And then, um, in 1995, uh, we made uh, almost 6,000, uh, website, uh, about, uh, Aizuakamatsu, my city. Did you really? What did you use to make the website? Like, what technology did you use? Was it front page? No, it's a very kind of early age. Uh, we use uh, only uh, text editor, and then we see uh, the code, and then we copy and paste, nice. and then we hack around because there is no, uh, you know, textbook or manuals. So no. uh, it's kind of learning by doing kind of approach. I remember it well, actually. 
And uh, surprisingly, in the 1995, uh, I said uh, Aizu has a 6,000 website, uh, but uh, in uh, ni- 1995, a website uh, about uh, Tokyo only has uh, 3,000. <laughs> yeah, I mean, isn't that the way it normally happens? It's going to happen in not a remote place, but a remote city, right? Where there's too many other things going on in Tokyo at the time, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so um, that's a kind of very kind of quite shocking kind of experience for me because uh, in that time, in a sense of the digital domain, Aizu which is a very small city, uh, has uh, um, two twice more information than Tokyo, which is a uh, you know amazing. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it, uh, but uh, because we worked hard. And then, uh, all the people line up the start line, and then we work really hard. And then, I feel like, uh, uh people in the industrial revolution feel something like this. Yeah, I mean, definitely at the forefront of the creation of the internet in, in Japan, particularly if you're building 6,000 websites, and it's double the amount of websites that there were in Tokyo. And I mean, mm. back, back then there really was no e-commerce. When was when was Amazon founded? Do you remember what year was that? Uh, Amazon is nineteen ninety four, I think. I so, so it's almost yeah, it's almost same time. Uh, or nineteen ninety five, early nineteen ninety five, something like this. Right. So it's around the same time. But you said so you started an online business as well, right? Yeah. And what was that business? Uh, the kind of first businesses is, uh, uh, we, uh, make a website, uh, for the farmers because, uh, we have a lot of, uh, agriculture or farmers, uh, around, uh, city. Right. So, uh, we focus what we, uh, most kind of focus. And then that one is the kind of, uh, agriculture. So we wanted to sell the rice, uh, to, on, on the internet. But, uh, um, you know, we are a little bit kind of crazy people, and uh, I didn't want to just sell the lights because uh, Internet makes people easy and uh, fast. But uh, uh, I really want to know, I really want to uh, people to know uh, the efforts or kind of uh, troubles of the farmers because farmers work really hard. They do. So... Yeah, we have a subscription um, website. So all you need is just register your name and uh, email address, and then we send the uh, uh, email every every month to the subscriber, so that the uh, subscriber have to click on the uh, Oseba button, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, uh, care buttons, taking care buttons, right. so that uh, if uh, they miss uh, one of the uh, care in the next 10 months or so, then uh, we couldn't sell the lights. Really? What was what was the reason for making them press that button again? Yeah, because uh, I really want to know, uh, I really want uh, subs- all the subscribers or kind of people who want to buy the lights to know the how farmer work really hard. Got it, I understand. So, yeah, they like to, uh, I really like make them to know uh, life should be taken care of, uh, the harvesting, um, this or that. So all the kind of efforts for, uh, 10 months. Well, in a, in a way, and please don't take this the wrong way, it sounds a little bit like Tamagotchi, right? You have to kind of 
make sure you're virtually taking care of the rice so that you can actually be uh, to tell the farmers that you're doing that, which is kind of cool, I think. Yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, it's kind of strange. Uh, uh, our kind of activities uh, is uh, introduced in the national TV. Uh, the national TV has uh, some access to the cable TV in Los Angeles. Right. So we've got the uh, order of the lice from uh, U.S. And then uh, <laughs> I, I was really kind of, you know, uh, worried about uh, because uh, the year before, we had uh, some kind of trouble of the uh, harvesting lice. Right. And then we import the uh, fast uh, lice from Thailand. So it's a kind of big issue in, uh, in Japan. So uh, I went to uh, some office uh, who managed uh, exporting and importing rice in Fukushima. And then I... At that time, I was 26 years old or something. It's kind of, you know, grungy kind of fashion, you know, long hair guy. And then I went to the, uh, that kind of, uh, office and then I asked them, uh, can I, uh, export rice to the US? And then the, the guy in the counter says, oh, wait. Uh, so you need, uh, one only single paper because last year we changed the law. So all you need is just, fill up one uh, application forms. And then I did. And then I could successfully uh, export the rice. But uh, it turned out I'm a kind of fast exporter of the rice from Fukushima. <laughs> from Fukushima to the United States. So, yeah. not, so not only were you fir- were the first web page builder and website builder in Fukushima and also out of Aizu, Wakamatsu, but you were also the first person to... Export rice. That's pretty amazing, yeah. don't you think? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, back to the uh, onsen kind yeah, of story. Please, but, please. Uh, yeah, um, at that time, uh, we uh, are on the newspaper because uh, it's very rare for uh, Japanese young people to start own business right. in an uh, early age. So we are on the newspaper, and then uh, we got a phone call from uh, one of the uh, ryokan onsen hotel mm-hmm. uh, in the regions, and then they, uh, the owner of the uh, ryokan uh, said, uh, can you make a website for us? And then uh, at that time, I was very honest, so I said, uh, oh, I, I can make uh, the website for the onsen, uh, for the reservation side, but uh, at that time, uh, there is almost no one in the uh, internet, so I'm not sure it's really good business or not. Right, it's not going to matter. But, uh, it's not going to matter much. Yeah, yeah. But uh, he said, uh, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, I just want to support young people, so please get the money and make the website. That's super. So, yeah, uh, I really kind of supported by the uh, people in the committee because it's a very small committee. And then uh, we uh, have a really good relationship with them uh, for the last 22 years. And then um, it's very close to my office, only five minutes what's drive the, from... What, what's the name of the onsen? I mean, and the, the it's a, Yeah, it's a Takinoyu. Takinoyu. Yeah. That's great. And... Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, one day, uh, I visited their hotel and then I asked, oh, you have a pretty much kind of empty space in a weekday daytime uh, because most of the kind of guests come, uh, weekend and then they stay, uh, in, uh, evening, right? Right. But, uh, we work in, uh, uh, daytime weekday. So 
but the space is for free. It's kind of sharing economy. So I asked uh, the kind of uh, owner of the ryoka, uh, why, why don't you um, rent this space for free for us? And then he said yes, wow. because it's just there. Right? Why not? Right? Yeah. So you so you kept your office at Takinoyu. Yeah. And also, uh, I also have an office in a ski ground, middle of the ski ground. <laughs> so did you ever move back to Tokyo after you came home? Uh, no. <laughs> I was going to ask, like, why would you? It wouldn't make any sense. The lifestyle in Fukushima or any in any sort of outside part of Tokyo seems to be a lot better lifestyle, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that is very, pretty much a good question because... Uh, my kind of idea is, uh, in a kind of, uh, old time, people all go to, uh, big cities. Right. But, uh, um, internet makes, uh, everything change, right? And, uh, uh, people can make a living in a small city, even Aizuakamatsu, small city. But, uh, um, I have a really kind of different viewpoints because, uh, biggest problem of uh, current uh, modern world is uh, big city versus rural areas. Yeah. But uh, um, I'm more like a kind of picky person. So why not we have? Oh, actually, I really like to reduce the risk where I live or where I, you know, base. So sometimes I really uh, appreciate uh, entertainment in a big city right? and then restaurants in a Tokyo. But sometimes I pretty much enjoy quiet, nice environment in Aizuakomatsu. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I really like a very uh, less humid summer in uh, San Francisco. And I really like a very romantic season in uh, Christmas seasons in uh, Europe. So all I want to do is uh, traveling around uh, all the time and then stay many places and then, you know, thinking uh, this sketch of the lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, this is the classic concept of being a digital nomad, right? The idea that the Internet allows you to live anywhere and get the best of whatever location you want to be in at that time. Is that not right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, actually, uh, we've got the uh, uh, internet uh, domain name uh, URL. Uh, my company is uh, iJapan, so usually people get the iJapanCO.jp, but uh, I got the domain uh, NowhereCO.jp. I saw that. Yeah, so uh, if you are kind of pessimistic, people always think about, oh, there is nowhere. But uh, I'm more like a kind of optimistic, so I would rather say, now here, instead of the nowhere. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it's a great concept of what it actually means to have to be in a particular place, I think, right? So a very different concept, yeah. Mm, it comes from uh, uh, my kind of fast uh, impact of the Internet because when I see uh, Internet in uh, tw- more, uh, more than 20 years ago, I feel like, oh, I could live anywhere, living anywhere. So that's a quite uh, big impact for my life. So uh, after that, I my kind of uh, philosophy is living anywhere, nowhere. Yeah, I've pretty much had a similar philosophy, right? And I agree with you, except our seasonal choices are probably different. 
<laughs> my, uh, okay. No, it's true. I mean, so my, my idea is I'd like to be in Japan in the springtime, right? And I'd uh, like to be in Europe in the early summertime. And uh, I'd like to be in Thailand in November, December, January, and February just because the weather's so amazing. I like the heat, right? As opposed to the cold. Uh, I don't like to, uh, I don't like to ski. Um, oh, really? So, Maybe we are kind of perfect match to share our kind of estate. I was going to say, I was、yeah. going to say, it sounds perfect actually to me. So when you're gone, I'm going to be living in your place. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And you can do the same for me.、Um, yeah. So can you do me this favor? So now that you've had all this experience on the internet and all this experience、mm. traveling around the world, right? And being a pioneer,、mm. I mean, I would say if you let me in a bunch, we didn't even spend a Any time talking about you know the computer graphics and all the other stuff you did、uh-huh. for Japanese history and also you know the medical、uh-huh. and IT stuff you did, but you wake up one day in March in 2011, right? And you、uh-huh. kind of feel、uh-huh. like, and you kind of feel like it's going to be a regular day, and it ends up not being so regular. To be fair,、um, were yeah. You, were you in Izuakamatsu when the earthquake hit? Yeah. Do you want、yeah. to talk about I, that I a little bit?、There. I can I can share with you where I was. I was in Tokyo. Okay. And、uh-huh. I was on the twentieth floor of something called New Otani Garden Court, and you、uh-huh. you may or may not know this, right? But、uh-huh. I was involved in the financial markets. The Japanese stock market closes at three o'clock in the afternoon, and the earthquake、uh-huh. hit Tokyo、uh-huh. at two forty at two forty seven. So、uh-huh. I remember clearly, like the impact on on my life and my existence, and I remember sort of the you know the sort of integral fear. For、uh-huh. those of us that grew up in Japan, I mean, I'm not.、Uh-huh. I'm probably older than you, but I've lived. I lived in Japan for 22 years, and you、uh-huh. know, going experiencing an earthquake was like a daily experience for those of us that live you、uh-huh. know, on a fault line.、Uh-huh. And, and yet, this was something different. I thought. So, do、uh-huh. you want to just explain to me what was going through your mind at that time? Because I think it's a really important part of the story, particularly as it relates to Fukushima Wheel, which I really want to spend some time talking about. Yeah.、Um, yeah. Actually, this actually very much changed my life.、Uh, yeah, in that 20 years ago, first I met the internet. I feel like、uh, I see a kind of future、yep. of Japan or a future of the world. Of the world. Because I yeah yeah、uh, because all the technology、uh, makes me oh future should be something like this. Right. But uh, uh, then I、uh, committed all mo- of my life for my、uh, kind of work. But uh, gradually, um, I and then I thought life is too short, and then so that's why I must work really hard. But、uh, gradually, I forgot、uh, such kind of、um, concept and then ideas, and、um, because、uh, life goes on. And then、uh, when I had an earthquake, I was in a, a office, and then of course it's very kind of earthquake which I never experienced, so I was very kind of、um, terrified.、Mm-hmm. But、uh, we have、uh, something like twenty employees、uh, in our office, and then everyone got panicked. But、uh, um, My city is hundred kilometer away from the、uh, coast and the nuclear plants,、yeah. uh, Pacific Ocean side, hundred、uh, kilometer away. So、uh, we, uh, we 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 didn't have any kind of buildings、uh, fall down or something. So we are kind of less 
kind of safer, uh, unlike uh, Sendai or most of the city in uh, uh, Fukuoka. Yeah, hit by that tsunami, but uh, yeah, but it's quite kind of big uh, aspect. So I said, oh, let's kind of finish work today and then go home and then check out uh, the safety of our families and then um, um, enjoy kind of weekend. But uh, when and then I drive back and then I. My building is an uh, NTT building, so it's very kind of a robust kind of building. So we didn't have so much kind of damages. But uh, after I get back home, uh, all my kind of books in a bookshelf uh, fall down. Right. And then all the kind of wines uh, got kind of broken. And then, you know, uh, my kind of two old puppies uh, is kind of uh, shaking. So, yeah, I thought it's something... Uh, uh, unusual, and then I turned on the TV, and then I first I couldn't believe what's going to happen uh, because you know news says all the kind of you know incredible stories like uh, it's like a kind of black swan uh, people never imagine no such kind of you know catastrophe happens. So all I could do is just watching. I mean, I. I couldn't move, right? Right. And yeah, and uh, um, gradually uh, the kind of issue is shifting to the nuclear uh, because um, I did know we have a nuclear plant in the uh, uh, Pacific Ocean side in Fukushima, so right. I was really kind of scary. What, what's going to happen? Um, and then news uh, breaking uh, news says, oh, we lost uh, all the power in the nuclear plants. So, you know, I was 100 kilometers away. And then first I thought, oh, wait, uh, what, what do you mean we lost all the power right. in what the nuclear plants? What does that really mean? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, I watched kind of, uh, I kept watching TV. And then uh, TV says all the kind of bad news is. And then, but we have nothing to do. And then uh, at that time, uh, all the kind of logistics got stopped. And then um, we couldn't get uh, gasolines and then we couldn't get uh, uh, food because all the logistics cut. And then our city is kind of isolated by yeah. uh, the mountains. So, you know, that then um, the news uh, said uh, there is a smoke on the roof of the nuclear plants. And then I saw it, but uh, it's not the kind of smoke. It's obviously explosions. Right. So even you're kind of dumb, you you know, I I, I could get the idea. It's really something terrible things happens. But uh, I was only 100 kilometers away, and then many people, uh, many of my friends in uh, uh, abroad said uh, forget about Fukushima and then just escape but uh, you know I had no choice to escape because at that time Tokyo is kind of panicking and then Sendai has a disaster and then if I go to uh, Pacific Ocean side of course it's a nuclear right. and then other side we have a Kashiwazaki uh, nuclear plants in the Niigata and then that is uh, one of the most uh, biggest nuclear plants and then people are worried about the uh, next kind of accident 
So I got kind of stuck. And uh, before the earthquake, I think I am uh, most irresponsible kind of person on earth. But, uh, you know, I have uh, my kind of stuff, young stuff uh, in the office. Right. And they, they don't have so much money. And they don't have so much kind of skills. Uh, they, they don't speak so much kind of good English. Right. And then maybe they are very hard time. They, it's very hard time, uh, hard to, for them to, uh, make a living in, uh, another countries. But, uh, I'm, uh, more like, uh, I, I can live almost everywhere. But, uh, you know, I had a choice. Uh, I, forget everything, and then I moved to different places. But uh, I couldn't. It's I feel like uh, I'm a captain of the sinking boat, yep. like a Titanic. You are. So, yeah, if you are kind of captain of the ship and then boat, and then if you say, oh, I escape, and then pre-take it off the desk. Right. Uh, you know, you know, I I couldn't say that. It doesn't feel like the so, right. It doesn't feel like the right idea, does it? Yeah, yeah. So um, I uh, stayed, and then I strongly felt uh, even if I move or I escape from my city, I'm a last person. Right. Were you worried? Uh, were you worried yeah. at all about your own personal health? Mm, yeah, yeah. Most kind of scary part is um, we have no idea what's next. I mean, uh, if I could imagine uh, what's happening next, uh, I mean, I could prepare for that. But right. uh, most scary thing is I have no idea what's going to happen next. And then, and uh, most kind of scary things is uh, all I could do is we are watching on a TV, but. Uh, uh, most scary moment is uh, uh, Japanese Jietai uh, military yep. uh, send uh, uh, helicopters and they have a bucket and with a water and then they uh, put the water from the roof of the nuclear plants, right? Mm. That's that's really kind of shocking kind of moments. I mean, I thought, oh, world is end. Right. So it's really really dead end. I saw so. And then at that night, uh, I take my kind of employees to the one of the restaurant because, uh, the city is more like a kind of ghost town. So nobody is on the street. So, uh, I brought uh, all the kind of good wines and champagnes and then we opened and then, oh, maybe tonight might be a uh, last day of my, our life. So, <laughs> and to be, yeah, and, yeah, and to, enjoy. And to be fair, Jinsan, like you say, your town was a ghost town. Tokyo was completely opposite, right? Because mm. all of the people that worked in Tokyo, but that lived outside of Tokyo, right? They lived in Saitama, mm. that lived in Saitama or surrounding areas. They were walking home. So mm. if you were in central Tokyo, if you're in Aoyama or in Ginza, you essentially had mm. people walking on the street. I remember it was March. It was cold that day, mm. if you remember correctly. And it was mm. also, it was also mm. raining. So mm. it was kind of a surreal environment where, you know, we weren't, the people in Tokyo were not obviously near the epicenter of the earthquake. But boy, it really mm. felt, it felt slightly dystopian in the sense that 
you kind of mm. didn't know what was going to happen. And to be fair, you said that, you know, that, that was really, the town was empty, but also the aftershocks kept coming. I don't know if you remember that, but you must, right? The aftershocks mm. for, the, for that earthquake kind of didn't stop the entire weekend. Mm. Mm. No. Mm. Yeah. Um, you said, uh, the kind of situation in Tokyo, uh, uh, at that time. Uh, actually, it gives me, uh, lots of kind of feedback for, uh, my project, Fukushima Weep. Uh, because, um, as I said, uh, we, our, our city is based on, uh, tur- tourism. Yep. And then, uh, the year of the 2011, we lost 90% of the tourists. Yeah, for sure. Uh, because people are afraid of nuclear and then earthquakes, uh, which is kind of understandable. And then, uh, 2011, uh, we, uh, had no extra, uh, power, uh, except the uh, main business, because it's really hard to survive. But the uh, year after the earthquake, uh, one of my kind of employees said, uh, Yamadera-san, uh, why don't we do for some kind of project for hometown? Right. Now, now is the time. And then maybe we can do now. And uh, at that time, um, my kind of first idea is very kind of simple. And how we have a tourist back. So I traveled around all over the world uh, last 20 years, and then I did know um, share, uh, share bike programs yep. is very, very emerging market, especially in uh, China. It's kind of crazy, but uh, in uh, Europe and even in the U.S., uh, share bike program is a very kind of hot topic because last one mile of mobility is a very hot issue, and then postcard... Uh, society is a kind of future. So I first my idea is uh, why don't we have uh, free bike for the tourist to get the tourists back? So that's kind of simple ideas. Yeah. So if that's going to help get the tourists back, what is the point? What is the reason? You know, what is the point? So if you have people riding around on the bicycles, what have you put on the bicycles from a sensor perspective to sort of gather yeah. data? Do you want to talk about that? Because I think that's really important, actually. Ah uh, yeah, and uh, I so uh, first I got a very uh, immature idea of the share bike, but I carefully studied the bicycle business share bike uh, business. But uh, you know, if you are kind of smart enough, uh, you shouldn't do that because share bike program is very very uh, not profitable uh, because they just rent a bike, and then they get the money just for this. And then people uh, break the bike, and then people steal the bike. And then it's really hard to get that kind of profit, except uh, local government supports uh, such kind of program from the tax, or a big company like a city bank uh, supports such kind of programs, like a, a city bike in New York. Right. And uh, so... This actually, this year is a anniversary year of the bicycle because it's a, a 200 years anniversary of the uh, invention of the bicycle this year. Is it really? 
Yeah, it's uh, 200 years ago. Uh, one of the uh, uh, Mister Carl uh, made uh, uh, invent a bicycle in Germany, and then to this year is the 200 years anniversary. Did not know that. That's really interesting, actually. Yeah. So um, in a uh, uh, computer geeks, we have a very uh, funny kind of expression, like uh, reinventing the wheel. Right. So the kind of meaning is, uh, if I say, uh, oh, let's invent a wheel, is uh, people should be very smart or people should be very stupid. Right. Because it's kind of binary. Yeah, it's a very binary uh, because uh, uh, the wheel is a very, very uh, sophisticated uh, locomotions. And, uh, but uh, if you are smart enough, you can reinvent the more than uh, the wheel. So that's the kind of expression. So um, reinvent the wheel is a kind of keyword for my kind of project. And... Uh, First, I reinvent the kind of business model because now uh, bicycle share bike program is uh, providers usually lend a bike and they get the money. That's all. But uh, we have uh, LED on the wheel so that we can display advertisement depends on the location or time. It's something like a kind of Google uh, advertisement right. uh, by the keyword. So if you just pass by Starbucks, uh, we can display uh, advertisement of Starbucks. Or if you just pass by another um, Uniqlo, maybe we can display Uniqlo kind of things. Hmm. And uh, the lights uh, prevent the accident in the evening as well, uh, because uh, in the nighttime, uh, if you ride a bicycle, car driver cannot see you very well. Right. So. The light, uh, bike lights on uh, LED uh, display any type of images, and it's very bright, so it prevents accident in the evening as well. And the second part is uh, we can we could uh, make uh, incentives for the local governments because now uh, even many people discuss about the postcard. Uh, society or uh, last one mile uh, optimizations, but uh, there is uh, local governments doesn't have so much kind of incentives about uh, supporting a share bike because maybe there's traffic jam. That's all. So, but uh, uh, after the uh, Fukushima disaster taught us, uh, we need a more like a kind of citizen science. Uh, more like a kind of democratic way of uh, measuring uh, environment. Because uh, I, I think uh, 3.11 is a disaster, but the most biggest uh, disaster is a kind of trust issue. We lost a trust because uh, I, I'm not, uh, I don't believe uh, conspiracy, so I don't think uh, government uh, showing the kind of, you know, lie. But uh, there are still people who don't believe the nuclear uh, or radiation data are from the government because people say, oh, they kind of make up some kind of, you know, data or something like this. But uh, uh, so we lost the trust uh, because there are some people who don't trust the data from the government right. at all. It's very sad. So right now uh, government uh, make a uh, 
measurement with a very robust, uh, very expensive sensors, very static. And then, for instance, uh, my city has uh, uh, several uh, monitoring posts uh, which measure uh, temper- uh, radiations. Right. But uh, uh, it's very few. So, but the radiation is almost everywhere, right? So, uh, our approach is kind of opposite. We have a uh, very cheap, so so reliable sensors, but uh, massive number of the, uh, sensors uh, mount on the bicycles, and then uh, you ride around the city. And, uh, it's more like a kind of democratic because we have a uh, uh, main purpose of measuring uh, measurement of the radiation is not uh, measuring of the radiation because uh, tourists or uh, people in a community just riding a bicycle and then all the kind of data of the radiations. Now we have uh, other sensors like uh, CO, NOx, temperature, humidity, and the radiation. Right. So we collect such kind of data every five seconds. and It's all up on the cloud. And then we see uh, more data uh, around your neighborhood. So you see how your neighborhood is kind of polluted or not. Yeah. So this concept, though, of people not trusting the government, I I think to a certain extent, right, you said you don't believe in conspiracies. And and I would tend to agree with you. I Mm. I think at some level the government's not set up they don't have the infrastructure in place to be able to do the same type of democratic measurements that, that you're doing. And I think that's where, you know, all great entrepreneurs look at the market and see gaps. Mm. And I think what you've seen is you've seen a gap. And that gap means you go out and fill that gap with a business model that doesn't seem initially like it was fit for that gap. But you found a way to make the share bike and the sharing economy, a way to then put sensors on the back of bikes in two places, right? One is the LEDs that you have for advertising. So it gives an incentive for other people to be interested and help make sure that that business is um, is robust and growing. Mm. Mm. But, but also, you know, if tourists and even locals are going to use those bikes to share and ride around, they may as well be sort of democratically measuring mm. the information, right? So the problem in my mind with three having three ridiculously robust sensors right so the ones that the government mm. put out it really means mm. that there's no way to tell like three data points is not statistically significant enough to understand what the outliers and mm. underliers are mm. but mm. How, how many bicycles do you have uh now we are approaching uh, uh we we doing uh some kind of experience so we only have uh, uh very few bikes right now. And uh, we have uh, uh, not so many kind of sensors, but something like uh, uh, 20 sensors. Right, but the, but, idea, uh, but the idea is it's still seven times more sensors than the government has. And the real thing is you put all that data up in the cloud, everybody can have access to it, and it means that you can really tell any individual sensor doesn't have as much impact on the data gathering as any other particular sensor. So it means that this democracy of everything, right, means that... Mm. People that are just living their daily lives get to contribute back mm. to the data gathering, and then that data is more verifiable because there's just more of it, right? Mm. And I think that's yeah. the beauty of what this Fukushima Wheel project is, is that you know not only is it out there gathering all this data that the government itself couldn't really do, but it's also letting people participate in that data gathering and also making it freely available, which is really important. Mm. 
Mm. Yeah, uh, our sensor is uh, customized, and then we worked with a safe cast, NPO called uh, Safe Cast, which is a, a very kind of fabulous uh, organization, uh, which uh, who collects uh, radiation all over the uh, world. And then we use their sensors, and then we modify their sensors, and then we add some extra sensors. So that's why we have a very few sensors right now. But uh, SafeCast is a kind of global kind of uh, uh, NPO, and then they have a more sensors, of course. And then uh, last year they achieved, we collected more than 60 uh, millions uh, data set all over the world. Right. It's right. a kind of victory of the uh, citizen science because in a kind of ancient time, uh, all the kind of data or all the kind of uh, academic uh, presentation is done by people in the academia who has a very uh, solid uh, authority. But uh, right now, um, sensor is kind of cheap enough and then we have a crowd and then we have a way to get such kind of uh, all the data from everyone. And then people can be a scientist. Yeah, I mean, what did you call it? People science? Um, uh, citizen science. Citizen science. I think it's a really important concept. And a, f- a couple of weeks ago, you may know, I did get on the phone with Peter as well. And we spent some oh, time, okay. yeah, we spent some time so- talking about SafeCast. And mm-hmm. one of the reasons why we wanted to talk to you is we wanted to understand how that concept of citizen science is being implemented really in the field. And this is the perfect mm-hmm. example in my mind. This whole concept mm-hmm. of the Fukushima wheel. And I like the mm-hmm. title too, like you said, reinventing the wheel, which is kind of, it's a, it's a sort of ironic and funny statement to make, right? Because the wheel has mm-hmm. been around for, it's one of the earliest inventions of man, right? So it's been around forever. Mm-hmm. And yet there mm-hmm. are new uses for it. And this whole concept mm-hmm. of citizen science, you know, f- via SafeCast, but through Fukushima Wheel, I think is really important. And again, mm-hmm. you've found a market gap and you're filling that gap with citizens who are more than happy mm-hmm. to ride around on bicycles and continue mm-hmm. to do this. And I think particularly in the context of what happened in Fukushima in 2011, it mm-hmm. has to raise the awareness and the necessity for citizens themselves to be able, because if there's a lack of trust, how do you get that trust? You go out mm-hmm. and do it yourself as a community. And that's really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is kind of my kind of uh, Kintsugi. Kintsugi is a golden uh, jointry. Right. Uh, yeah, um, actually this is a uh, very classic uh, Japanese tea ceremony concept. Uh, my city is very famous for the Japanese lacquerware, and then they have uh, some techniques uh, which uh, make a broken piece uh, back together with uh, lacquer and then gold. And then we call such kind of technique uh, kintsugi. And then I feel like uh, my hometown is kind of broken teacup because uh Nuclear accident and then earthquake disaster makes uh, our hometown uh, piece by piece. But uh, I really like to make my hometown back again with uh, more new kind of ideas or innovations. So that's one of the reinventor wheel and also kintsugi. Uh, kintsugi is if you break the teacup, for instance, in a Western world, People just throw the top. Mm. Yeah, throw away. But uh, we keep it, and then we put them 
back together with the gold, and then people pay more respect. Oh, you make these things much more kind of important. Look, I think this is actually the best way to end this podcast on this concept of kintsugi. Can you do for me? Because kin, right? Kin, like kinkakuji. Yeah. So it's the gold. Yeah. yeah. I get it. Yeah. What is yeah. the kanji yeah. for tsugi? Sugi? Is it sugi or tsugi? Sugi. Sugi, sugi is yeah? a, yeah, jointry. Ah, or, got it. Golden or, joint. Or, yeah, golden joint or golden repair. Got it. I got it. Okay. I just wanted to make sure mm-hmm. I understood what the kanji was. Mm-hmm. Look, this has been an amazing conversation, and actually what I'm going to do is I'm going to title this whole thing Fixing a Broken Teacup, because I think that is really an important concept for people to understand. And the idea... Mm, like thank this, you very much. No, no, I really like it a lot, actually. And the idea of Kintsugi taking something that's broken and not throwing it away, but actually mm. making sure that it's fixed, and it's not just fixed with tape, it's fixed with gold, I think is one of the really mm. important concepts of um, you know Japanese culture. And I think mm. that that's actually really important. We didn't get a chance to talk anything about like wabi-sabi, right? And now that whole concept of just mm. before, it's important though, right? Because it's in mm. this whole concept of just before something dies, it's at its most beautiful state, right? Mm. And if you can preserve that state through kintsugi, I don't know, it's just an interesting way to think about things for me. But look, mm. for someone like you who's been at the forefront of um, a whole bunch of things really, and then to end the conversation with his concept of fixing a broken teacup, I think is perfect. So mm. I really want to say yeah. thank you for you to you, not because it's an inspirational story for me. Remember, I was in Tokyo, so very different experience for me as mm. it relates to the um, Fukushima earthquake, right? And what happened in Sendai and what happened on the coast. Um, mm. And it's just great to be able to talk to somebody who was there. And I didn't realize that you would not have known Right, if you're in Aizu, Akamatsu, and you're at your office, just like a regular day, there's an earthquake, which is not such a rare occurrence in Japan, and definitely mm. not a rare occurrence in Fukushima. But because mm. power goes down, and cell phones aren't working, your access mm. to information, internet or not, meant that you may not have known that there was a gigantic tsunami. You may not have known in the middle of the day, or at the end of the day, that there was a problem with the nuclear reactor until you got home. Mm. Right? So we mm. watched all of this happen in real time. Mm. Which was both good and bad, yeah. Mm. Anyway, just yeah, ac- yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, Steve Jobs uh, once mentioned uh, computer is a, a bicycle of the mind. Right. So now is the time to back uh, the technology back to the bicycle. That's kind of my idea. That's that's awesome. Okay, look, mm. I really want to say thank you, Jun Yamadera. Um, Fukushima wheel, but all the way back to just being the first, first exporter of rice from Fukushima to the rest of the world. It's been mm. an incredible life so far. I don't think uh, your impact mm. is over. So thank you so mm. much. Thank you very much. Uh, Oscar Wilde in a kind of British author said, uh, where there is a sorrow, there is a holy ground. So I believe Fukushima has a future. Thank I, you. I agree. Thank you. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.